Open your Bibles this morning to Luke's Gospel, chapter 7. Luke's Gospel, chapter 7, as we're in week three of our series, Love Like Jesus. And as we've said every single week of this series, uh, it is much easier to say love like Jesus than it is to love like Jesus practically. Amen. Um, I know I struggle with that sometimes. And so this morning we want to dive into the last week of our series to discover how can we love like Jesus. And uh, let me just say, uh, if you weren't stirred in that last song, uh, I want to encourage you that you can know uh, that, man, we are not bound by sin and death any longer. We are free. Amen. And so Luke chapter 7, we're going to get to it in just a moment. And we're going to look at an amazing verse that I think gives us a great insight into how we can apply this to our lives today. Uh, when we grow in understanding God's love for us and our call to love others as ourselves, that only comes from loving God with all of us. But as we grow in understanding that, what it means to know what it is to love God with all of us and then to allow that very love to be extended and displayed and demonstrated to those around us, we will begin to understand what it is to reach our world for Christ. And that is the heart of the gospel. The heart of the gospel is that now because of Christ, I can love God with all of me. I can give all of myself to him and he receives it not because I'm good enough. Not because I've done enough, not because I go to church enough, not because I've been baptized, not because I write a tithe check. Again, as I've always said, we'll take the tithe check, but that's not what's getting you in. It's that relationship with Jesus Christ. And now I can love him with all of me freely, and he receives it as an act of worship. And then as I'm growing in that relationship, now I can love my neighbors, love others as I love myself. I've always said it. We can't love ourselves the way we're supposed to if we don't understand how much God loves us. I think when we forget that part of the equation and we forget God's love for us and what that looks like and how we should love him with all of us, when we start loving ourselves apart from that, we end up in a very selfish, prideful, kind of a, a very self-serving love. When we understand this truth to love like Jesus, our world can be shaken for Christ. Now, here's the reality. Is our world in a, a kind of not a great place right now? Sure. Are there things we see in our world and not only in our nation, but in our world globally that we don't like? Of course. But nowhere in God's word does it say, go ahead and quit now. Go ahead and throw the towel in. Go ahead and give up now. And the Bible says, listen, until the day you come home, you have one job, one primary focus, and that's to reach people with the love of Christ, to share their grace with others. We don't have to like what's going on around us, but if we want to change our world, it doesn't start at the top down. It starts with us as followers of Christ, going into homes, going into communities, going into people's lives, meeting them where they are, sharing the truth of the gospel with them, and letting them know that Jesus loves them, their sins can be forgiven. And as one heart changes, and another heart changes, and another heart changes to the things of Christ, an entire city can be turned upside down. You might say, that's crazy. How could that ever happen? It's already happened. Just read the book of Acts. These disciples, these fishermen, these unintelligent, uneducated fishermen— changed their world for the things of Christ. And there's a verse I love in the book of Acts when they're talking about how could these men do these things? They just simply said, we know that they've spent time with Jesus and spending time with Christ at the feet of Christ. Now for us, we don't do that physically, right? We don't go to Jesus in the physical and be before his feet, which would be pretty amazing. Wouldn't that be pretty amazing? Now one day John says, we will see him and be like him. I can't wait for that day. But how do we get before the feet of Christ? How do we understand the love of Christ? We spend time with him in his word. We get before the word of God and we're just still sometimes. And other times we share our hearts and we, 
we kind of give an, a, an expression of our faith through prayer and words. Other times we, we just sit in stillness and receive what God has for us through prayer. But it doesn't stop there. Then we move into the body of Christ and we connect with the church and we, we serve and we minister. And then we're served and ministered to. And through that relationship, we understand deeper what it is to love like Jesus. We have said that to love like Jesus, we must see how Jesus loved. To understand how to love like Jesus did, we must know how Jesus loved. He clearly demonstrated his love through the first week we talked about forgiving sinners. By the way, that's forgiving sinners like me. I don't know if anyone else can attest to that, but I'm so thankful he forgave this sinner. I didn't deserve it. I didn't earn it. I wasn't good enough. And by the, in the matter of fact, I know me better than you know me, and I find it hard to believe that God would forgive me because he knows me better than I know me. He knows what's really going on in this heart at times. And yet he still extends his grace to you. He extends his grace to me. The first week, if you missed it, we talked about Jesus demonstrated his love through forgiving sinners. And if you did miss any of the last two weeks, you can go online. You can watch those. Thank you to those that are watching online right now and connecting with us in that platform. But if you missed any of the previous weeks, you can get our app. You can go on our website and you can watch those there. And I encourage you to do so. But we talked about this idea of forgiving sinners. Not only did he forgive us, but he also serves us. He desires to serve us and minister to us with irrational acts of love. Last week, we talked about that he washed the disciples' feet. And again, what's the most amazing about that passage in the Gospel of John is that he washed all the disciples' feet. That includes Judas, the one that would betray him. He got down on his hands and knees, and he served him, and he was ministering to him, even though Judas's heart was nowhere near submitted to the things of God. So we talked about these ideas that he forgave sinners, that he serves with irrational acts of love. And I want to follow up to last week, this idea of serving and ministering. We talked a lot about what does that look like. So again, check it out for yourself. But um, in thinking through this last week and a couple conversations I had last week with someone, uh, it really spoke to me that I wanted to follow up with something. In church, we hear a lot of sermons about ministering and serving. Uh, Maybe not as many as we used to. I know when I was growing up in youth group, man, we used to get it every Sunday. You know what I'm saying? Like, what are you doing for Jesus? Um, But I mean, sometimes we hear these messages and and it stirs in us this desire that's already there in Christ. But sometimes if we're being honest, there's times in our lives where we can't really serve like we want to. Um, I don't know if you understand this, if maybe you're there now. But there's times in our lives where God is impressing on us to serve or to minister in some way. And when I say that, I mean in an actual ministry. So, So teaching a class a position in the church or, or something along those lines. And we have that pressing of the spirit of God to step up and to step out and to push fear aside, because by the way, perfect love casts out all fear. Amen. And so we don't fear. We don't live in fear. We don't make decisions in fear. We use wisdom. We don't use fear. And so we understand that the spirit may press us into a ministry. And then that desire is there. And we give excuses as followers of Christ. Ah, I don't know. Ah, it's not really for me. I really don't have the time. Now, sometimes we don't have the time and sometimes we have plenty of time. We're just using that time for something else. But sometimes God will press the desire and we'll just kind of, we'll be disobedient. Now, we don't like using that word, right? We say spiritual things like I'll pray about it. And I know no one here, I'm not looking at anyone, no one here has ever, as a follower of Christ said, I'll pray about it and didn't actually pray about it. I know that's not us. That's other, that's those Christians out there that do that. Not us. We would never do such an unspiritual thing as say, we're going to pray about something and use it just as an excuse to get out of doing something. Never. See that awkward pause right there, that that kind of that, (laughs) 
That's people agreeing with me that they've done that, okay? They just don't want to laugh too loud. If you laugh too loud, that tells people you've done that before. But we've done that before. We've just rejected the, the leading of the Spirit. We've chose to not serve. The desire is there, but we just reject. We're disobedient. There's other times, though, in a Christian's life where, where the desire is there and we want to do it. Man, we, we are hungry to serve. We want to serve. But there's something that's keeping us from serving that's out of our control. Maybe it's health. Maybe you're just not in a place with your health where you're able to serve. Maybe you want to serve, but you just can't. I mean, physically, you just can't. Maybe there's a desire and a want to and a hunger, but your availability isn't there. Sometimes you work jobs, and, and I've worked thirds. I've worked midnights. I've done that. And, and let me just tell you something. When you work thirds for five, six days a week, it's hard to get up in a Sunday morning and go teach a Sunday school class or a junior church class. It's hard to have the time to invest in that. Can you do it? Maybe, but maybe not. Maybe there's just literally no way to do it. And so here's my encouragement to you as we follow up from last week. It's not about beating ourselves up or tearing ourselves down or whooping ourselves because we have a desire, but we don't have the availability. We have a desire, but we're not in the best health right now. We're in a season. Or maybe it's an altogether different thing. Maybe God just has you in a different season where this is your, um, I, I look at it like that 40 days that Elijah spent when he was out in the wilderness. I think it was 40 days. Um, when Elijah was out there and, and he ran from Jezebel and he was fearing for his life and God ministered to him. God, God provided for him. And God had him in a place in a season where he was strengthening him and encouraging him and ministering to him. And it just wasn't time for him to go serve yet. But I love at the end of that time that Elijah was out in the wilderness that God said, okay, now it's time to get up and go back. And we know the story that he goes and he chooses Elisha to kind of take over in his position as prophet and, and all that unfolds moving forward. But maybe you're in a season right now where you want to serve, you desire to serve, but there's something outside of your control or God just doesn't have it lined up right yet. And you're waiting on the Lord, you're just being patient for him. I want to be encouraging to you because after a sermon like last week, you might be sitting there going, I want to serve. You don't understand. I have a desire and a hunger and I want to do it, but I just can't right now for this reason. It's out of my control. Then the point of the message was not to go home and beat yourself up. It was to prayerfully evaluate, okay, if I'm not serving, why am I not serving? Is it my desire? Is it my heart? Is it something that I'm just being disobedient in? Or is there something else that's keeping me from serving. And so I wanted to kind of follow up from last week and share that as an encouragement because I don't want anyone that is a follower of Christ that has all that desire but just unavailable to feel like you need to beat yourself up or tear yourself down. The point is we need to step out where we can and serve where we can. If you cannot serve in a ministry you want right now, then prayerfully consider what would God have you serve in as far as a ministry. Now I meant to grab one, I don't have one, but at the Welcome Center there are prayer guides. And they're basic, simple prayer guides that list all the prayer concerns that people submit to the church. Some of them are healing, uh, requests for healing or asking for healing. Uh, surgeries are in there. Uh, there's additional requests. Maybe it's different things going on. Uh, also, all of our missionaries that we support are listed in there. Um, if we know someone that's in the military connected with the church, that, those names are in there. And it's a simple little trifold. Do you know that you could have a huge impact for the cause of Christ and for the kingdom of God without even leaving your house? By just opening that prayer guide up and just praying over those requests and just interceding for those requests, interceding for those that need healing, interceding for those that are going through something right now, praying for every missionary. I've encouraged this before. We have 11 missionaries. That means you can pray for one missionary family a month, every day of that month, 
And then the 12th month, pray for all of them. And you've impacted the kingdom of God more than you can even imagine by just interceding for those serving in foreign fields. See, we think of ministry as I got to go to the church and do this thing. And there's sometimes that's true. We need teachers. We need people to serve. And in fact, if you have any interest in those kind of things, I would love to talk to you about children's ministry or word of life or different aspects of ministry that we could talk about you serving here in the body in this location. But Beyond that, maybe it's a ministry of just serving your community and you know someone in need in your community, a neighbor that's had a surgery, and maybe you just make a meal for him and just go over and go, hey, I just want to be a blessing to you. I thought maybe because you just got home from the hospital that this could help you just have one meal provided for. And here's the crazy thing. We as a church don't have to tell you to do that. We have meal ministries here. If we know somebody that has had a child recently or gone through surgery or come home from some situation, we'll put it out and we'll have a list of names and we'll call those people. And would you make a list or make a meal? We'll do it for five days. And that's awesome. But here's the thing. You as a follower of Christ, because you have the spirit of God within you, you can just go to your neighbor and knock on the door and say, what can I do for you? Isn't that awesome? You don't need to come here and go, okay, church, tell me how to reach my community. We'll give you ideas. And just two weeks ago, we got to be a blessing to North Branch Parks by just putting mulch down. That was awesome. But you know what? Maybe you and your community, you see a need that we'll never see. And so you don't serve or minister in the traditional sense of coming to the building, but maybe God has a different ministry for you. Maybe God has a different aspect of ministry that you need to serve in. And I'm telling you, we underestimate the power of prayer consistently in our lives. I truly believe that. I know I do. Yeah, let me just ask a question. You ever have God moving away? And this isn't even in the notes. This is all free. You guys are getting bonus sermon this morning. It's just, man, write it down. Check it off. This is good stuff. I might sign my own Bible when I'm done. That's only going to make sense to you if you've been in church a long time, okay? If you're new to the church, you're like, what is that talking about? But if you know what an evangelist is and you know what evangelists usually do, you know that was funny. Okay, so, but when you think about this idea of praying for people, let me ask you a question. How is God, don't raise your hand, you don't have to say anything necessarily, but why don't you think about this? How has God completely changed your life, impacted your situation, or turned everything around in a way that you know, you know was God, and then you find out someone was praying for you? I mean, what does that do for your relationship with Christ? What does that do with your connection with the body when you know that believers, brothers and sisters, were on their knees before the Lord saying, God, you need to work in this? Man, if you've ever been in a situation where the doctors were saying, there's no hope, there's, it's not going to work. I'm telling you, you might as well call the family in. And then people again praying and laying hands over people and just asking God to move. And by God's will. Now, again, let me just be careful here. Sometimes God's will is to heal them by taking them to heaven. And I, we got to be okay with that because he is God. We are not. But sometimes God will answer that prayer and say, okay, I, I will heal this side of heaven. And man, we get to rejoice in him. I'll always remember and I tell this story with permission of my brother-in-law and his wife, Ken and Megan. I'll never forget Brianna. I mean, a little girl that was, was in the NIC unit for a long time. And I remember a Sunday morning, someone got the text in church. Hey, they're calling the family and begin praying. And man, this little girl, there's no reason she should have made it. But do you know that we had an invitation? We had people coming forward and we were just praying and asking God to move Sandra and I left the, the church. We drove to Flint. We walk in the doors and we're talking to Sandra's mom and trying to get some information on what's going on. And the doctor said, you know, it's crazy. About 1150, man, just she took a turn for the best. And things started improving in that moment. 
And do you know, it was exactly at that moment that we began praying as a church for God to do something. And you might say, oh, come on, preacher, that's just coincidence. No, I I serve a God that's bigger than coincidence and chance. I mean, I serve a God who is over all of that. And I say all that to say this, when you sit down and go, man, but I can't do this or I can't do that. Man, I can't sing like Bella can sing. You kidding me? I can't do what she does. I can't get up here and play an instrument. I can't do what these guys do. By the way, if you are interested in joining the praise team, you can show up tonight at 4.30. We call that a plug segue. Okay, we just kind of jump over there. If you're interested in that, no, seriously, they would love to have you. But I know, I can imagine over the years of being in music, that Pastor Keith or Renee or different people in music have had people come and go, man, I'd love to do that. I just don't know if I'm good enough. I just can't play like you guys play. I can't play guitar like Jeff Proctor. Don't worry, no one can, okay? He's next level, okay? It's all right, though. We just serve where God has gifted us. And this morning, I want to encourage you as we follow up from last week. And again, this, we're going to go to like 1.30, just so you know. So hopefully the crock pot is on low. You know what I'm saying? Uh, but when you think about this idea, it's just serving where you can serve. And so maybe it's prayer. Trust me, you don't even know what you can do by just opening a prayer guide and just sitting in the morning before the Lord and praying. So whatever you can do, do it for his glory and watch him be glorified in you and then bless you because of it. Luke chapter 7. Let's jump into this week's talk. We're going to understand that not only did Jesus love by forgiving sinners and by serving us with irrational acts of love, we're also going to understand that Jesus loved by breaking bread. Luke chapter 7. Look at verse 34. Such a crazy verse to me, but one we're going to unpack just a little bit. Luke seven thirty four, the son of man is come eating and drinking and ye say, behold, a gluttonous man, a wine bibbler, a friend of publicans and sinners. Let's pray. Father, as we read your word, we know it is true, but I pray Lord that as only you can, that you would affirm these things in our hearts and minds, that we would understand at a greater level and we're not going to get it right all the time. And Lord, I pray that we would understand grace, that we will desire to step out, to build these kind of relationships, to see an impact made for Christ, but we're going to fall. We're going to fail at times because we're human and we're not always going to get it right. But I pray that when we do fall, when we do fail, that we realize that your grace can pick us up. So many people, so many Christians live in the defeat of past mistakes, live in the defeat of missed opportunities, And what's crazy and ironic about that, Lord, is that as we are lamenting over missed opportunities of yesterday, we're missing opportunities today. So I pray that we would just realize you've brought us to this place at this time to show us what you have for us, that we would go from this place to make an impact for you. I pray you'd give us wisdom and guidance in all of that. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Jesus loved by being friends with sinners. Now, we need to write that down, I think. If not with pen and paper or pencil or on your phone or device, mentally, we need to make a note of that. Jesus loved by being friends with sinners. To me, this is a very interesting and unique verse we find in the Gospel of Luke. This is Jesus speaking to the people or the crowd and mentions one of the attacks the religious leaders used against him. This is said actually in context of speaking to John the Baptist and his legacy. We unpacked a little bit about John the Baptist in Wednesday night and this last week and talked about his impact for Christ, obviously. And uh, it's amazing to think and realize that 
John the Baptist's impact can be felt for, for generations even to today as the forerunner of Christ, as the one that laid the groundwork, the, the call to repentance unto the kingdom, that, that the kingdom is not just somewhere down the road. The kingdom is at hand. And John the Baptist was a powerful figure. In fact, his impact was felt not just even in the ministry of Christ, but even secular non-biblical historians record more about John the Baptist than they even do about Jesus, than his impact for the things of God. So you see here, as Jesus is unpacking all of this, speaking to the legacy of John, the impact that he had, Jesus says that among women or among men born of women, there was no one greater. Uh, He was truly just an amazing prophet of God, used of God greatly. But as he's unpacking all of that and sharing all of that, uh, John is obviously still alive. He's getting ready to be martyred. Uh, Many of you know this. He was actually martyred because he stood up for the things of God. Uh, He was beheaded. And so Jesus is kind of giving a little bit of a a, a testimony to his impact and legacy. Jesus basically says, when you read the whole context here, Jesus basically says that they accused John of having a devil. Okay, so they accused John the Baptist of having a devil. This is the the plan of the religious. Like, we don't like what you're saying. You're not going to submit to what we want you to submit to. So we're going to come up with something to kind of you know, denigrate you or, or tear you down or make you look bad in the people's eyes. And what they want with John was, well, he is a devil. He's possessed of a spirit. That was a common thing they would throw out there. They even accused Jesus of doing the works of God because of Satan. So they said, well, he is a devil. What's funny, though, is Jesus points out he didn't eat bread or drink wine. So John the Baptist didn't eat bread or drink wine, but he had a devil, so they didn't like him. Jesus goes on to say, I have meals with, and friendships with sinners and tax collectors, and I am a glutton. So think about this. The religious leaders look at John the Baptist and go, well, he didn't drink wine. And he didn't you know, eat with sinners stuff like that, as far as that goes. He didn't eat bread, but he's still had a devil. Jesus has meals with sinners and tax collectors. Well, he's just a glutton. I mean, the truth is you can't win with some people, right? You can't win with some people. Some people are just going to find something to attack and be critical of, especially when you stand up for the things of Christ. The key I want to take away from this is that the religious leaders accused Christ of spending time with people they would not and building relationships with sinners, even the horrible tax collectors. By the way, what was one of his disciples? A. Jesus didn't just hang out with tax collectors. He was like, hey, you want to be part of my inner circle? (laughs) You want to to spend three and a half years with me and I can train you up and then you're going to go out and you're going to lay the foundation of the church and you're going to change the whole world for my glory? Do you notice in Luke chapter 7, it says here at the end, a friend of publicans and sinners. Publican is a tax collector. Do you see they made two different distinctions? It's not just sinners. We would just say, okay, all people are sinners, so just lump everyone into sinner. He says publicans and sinners. And we've said this before to the Jews, the tax collector, the only sin that is on par with tax collector is that of a harlot or a prostitute. But they would even say tax collectors were worse. There's like sinners and then there's tax collectors, a whole different level. And they pointed that out and made a point of it in their accusation against him, one of the things they used against him. But the amazing thing is not that Jesus was a glutton, but it's true he was friends with sinners, which is amazing to me that that's one of the things they used against them, which, by the way, what was Israel's call to be missionaries, to go forth and reach the nations with the truth of God's word? But they had gotten so isolated in their religion, they forgot there was a world that needed to know the saving power of the gospel. And if we're being real for a moment, the church in our world today is dangerously close to that extreme. There are so many believers that are just trying to hide out in their church. Maybe if we just ignore it, don't engage it, just pretend it's not there, it'll go away. 
Or the opposite extreme is true. Let's just chant and boycott and protest and holler and get as angry and hateful and mean as possible. Maybe that'll make it go away. But the truth is, when the church is the church and reach people with the gospel, as we said already, that's what will change things. That's what will make a difference in our world today. So here we see Jesus, his accusation is that he was a friend of sinners and even the lowly tax collector. Again, as followers of Christ, let's realize that we can show the love of Christ by just building relationships and growing with others for his glory. This doesn't mean you do all that they do. This is another mistake that believers will make at times. Well, I'm trying to reach this person, so I'm going to go do everything they do to build relationship with them. I'm going to tell you right now, that will lead you into sin and temptation that will not see them come to know Christ. Just basing on my own personal experience. Did youth ministry a long time, about 11 years I was in youth ministry. You know that it's amazing. Anytime a relationship happened, I used to tell the students, don't date until you're 18 or you know you're going to marry this person. Okay? I just, you may think that's ridiculous. Trust me, being in youth ministry, if you served in youth ministry, you would know relationships not always the best thing among teenagers because you were a teenager and you remember that. But we used to tell our students, man, just don't date, just don't get involved. But you know what's funny is, in a sad way, every time a relationship would happen in a youth ministry where a saved student would start dating an unsaved student, And if you've ever worked in student ministry, you've ever been around this, you know this to be true. So often, the saved student's intent was, but I'll just, I'll get him to youth group, and I'll get him to come to church, and I'll get him to, I'll get him to to know Christ, and it's going to be great. Every example that I can think of in my 11 years of youth ministry experience, it never worked that way. It always happened where the unsaved student ended up leading the saved student into apathy in church, drifting from church, drifting in the walk with Christ. And see, so many times we think, well, if I build relationships with them, i got to get to know them by doing everything they do. No, 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 no. You can get to know them, have a relationship with them. Maybe it's a coworker, a family member, a friend that doesn't know Christ. Build relationships, but it doesn't mean you engage in all the things they engage in. There, there can be a, a discernment where you say, no, this is my boundary. This is where I'm going to go. And, but we, we get that confused. We think, well, if I'm a friend with sinners, then I have to compromise. No, you don't. Jesus never compromised and yet was invited to the parties that everyone wanted to go to. Did you ever think about that? We said it before. If, if Jesus was invited to these parties where tax collectors and sinners were hanging out, man, they wanted him there. Not because he compromised and didn't have standards, but because he loved on them and spoke truth to them. And we can do the same thing in our world today. Jesus breaks bread not just with certain sinners. He even breaks bread with religious sinners. Look at chapter 7, verse 35. I'm sorry, verse 36. I wrote down the wrong verse. I know that's hard to believe I made a mistake, but it happens every once in a while. So that's the second one this year, I think. So we should be good moving forward. Luke seven thirty six, And one of the Pharisees desired him that he would eat with him. And he went into the Pharisee's house and sat down to meet. Now this story, we don't have time to unpack it, unfortunately, but it is an amazing passage all the way through verse 50. And you read the story about a woman that shows up on the scene and And you can read it for yourself and all that transpires there and the way the religious react to her coming in. But what I want to point out here is that Jesus is accused of being friends with and having meals with sinners and tax collectors. And then in verse 36, one of the Pharisees desired that he would eat with him. And what is Jesus' response? I can't go. You're one of those religious leaders. You hate me. You want to see me killed. You want to see me tore down. You don't even want to support my ministry. I want nothing to do with you. No, he says, okay, I'll come over. I'll have dinner with you. So isn't it amazing? It's not just this sinners that we call sinners. He goes to anyone that would allow him an audience with himself. He'll go to anyone's home. 
He'll spend time with anyone. Think about the rich young ruler. Do you think Jesus knew before he began that conversation that the rich young ruler would walk away sad? Of course he did. He was God. But yet he still spent time to share truth with him. And Jesus doesn't waste these opportunities. He invests in anyone that would listen. What does the Bible say over and over again? To him who has ears, let him hear. And he's preaching to anyone that would hear. The sad reality is, as we're going to talk about tonight, actually, as we dive into a parable of Jesus in our Sunday evening service, we're going to talk about the fact that there are those who just don't want to hear. But here we see this religious man invites Jesus to a meal, and Jesus goes. The religious leaders criticize Jesus for receiving hospitality from sinners, those that they would call sinners, obviously excluding themselves. You know what's funny is, I don't think Jesus does anything by accident. And they said, hey, you have meals with sinners, that's not good. You want to have dinner with me? He goes, sure, I'll have dinner with another sinner. That's fine. I mean, do you see the irony here? He's like, yeah, you're right. I, I am friends with sinners, and I'll come have dinner with you too. But Jesus made it clear throughout the Gospels, it's not the, the healthy that need the healer, it's the sick. And sometimes these religious individuals thought they were healthy spiritually. In reality, they needed a healing spiritually. However, when a Pharisee asked Jesus to break bread, Jesus goes to his home, showing his grace extended to all who would hear. Jesus offers us a time of fellowship where we can sit and grow in him. We come to the table needing grace, and we are satisfied in Christ and his fullness. See, he has meals with us too, by the way. We spend time with him as followers of Christ, and we come needing his grace. And if we'll focus on the things that we need, not the things we always just want, we'll leave satisfied. And do you know why we give in to temptation so easy, even as followers of Christ? It's because we don't understand what it really means to be satisfied. And we think this junk from the world, these crumbs that we find on the floor scavenging about, that's going to satisfy us. And it's like, as much as I love Chinese food, it's like eating Chinese food. 20 minutes later, you're like, why am I hungry? I ate way more than I should have. And when we fill up on the things of the world, we'll find ourselves being very hungry very shortly because it's not lasting. It's not satisfying. But when we eat the bread of life and we drink the living water, man, then we'll know what it is to be satisfied. And we come back and we go, God, I just want more of you. I want more of you. I want to be filled to the brim. When we understand what it is to be satisfied, we'll see that he only satisfies so we see that Jesus demonstrated his love by breaking bread with sinners, by spending time with them in relationship. So how can we love like Jesus? Well, first, as we've already established, we build relationships with those outside the church, outside the body of Christ. We build relationships with unbelievers, not to give in to what they're doing or to change and compromise, but to build relationships so that we can demonstrate Christ's love before them. And real quick, side note. I know you're thinking, man, the time, I'm looking at the clock. It's side notes. We ain't got time for side notes, preacher. When you think about the reality of how Christians usually build relationships. It's kind of disheartening, really. Um, we're, not, we're not selling timeshares, people, okay? We're not building relationships to get them in the door, get them converted, and then, all right, thanks, have a good one. We'll see you in six months when we follow up. So many unbelievers have been witnessed to and, and told they are loved and told that Jesus loves them and they w want these relationships. And then when the person goes, you know what, I'm just not ready for your Jesus. I don't want to accept that. So many Christians go, okay, fine, then I'm done with you. If I can't convert you, then why hang out with you? And we've done a huge injustice to the things of God because of that. Man, do you realize that people are on a journey and, and they need time to process what you're telling them if you're sharing the gospel with them. And so if you share Christ with someone and they're like, no, I'm not really interested, 
You don't just cut them off and go, never mind, we're done, because I can't convert you, then why hang out with you? No, you show them that your love for them is genuine beyond their conversion. Now, we pray for conversion. We pray for them to come to know Christ. That's our goal, obviously. But another goal that we're striving for is to show them the love of Christ. And so we minister to them. We show love to them and compassion to them and serve them. Speaking truth, of course. But we don't just cut them off when they don't give us the result that we want. And so as we build these relationships, we do it not just with seeing them come to know Christ, which is our prayerful goal, but also to show them the love of Christ, that if they don't receive Christ under our ministry or through our teaching, maybe somebody someday down the road will share Christ, and that will be when it clicks. And so we love like Jesus by breaking bread with sinners, by building relationships with those that don't know Christ. But also we love like Jesus with other believers at church, with other believers at church. Hebrews chapter 10. Hebrews 10 and verse 24. As long as I wrote this verse down right, which I believe I did. I know you're thinking two mistakes in one sermon. That's impossible. I know. It's crazy. Hebrews 10, 24. And let us consider one another to provoke unto love and to good works. Not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as the manner of some is, but exhorting one another. And so much the more as we see the day approaching. Quick side note here. As the day of the Lord is approaching, we believe his return is coming soon. What is the, the encouragement from Scripture? What is the admonishing from Scripture to, to limit involvement with other believers or to increase involvement with other believers? To increase. It actually says, as you see the day approaching, do this more. But if we're being honest, sometimes we have the habit of falling into a, well, there's always tomorrow, there's always next Sunday, there's always next week. It's not just about coming to the physical building. I believe this is deeper than that. I think this is about building lasting relationships, true relationships with other believers through the church, in the church, that extend out of the building. In Hebrews 10, 24 and 25, we see here that the encouragement is to come together, to assemble together, yes, for worship, but also the provoking unto love and good works to encourage each other. Now, this may seem obvious, but it's so crucial. In fellowship, we meet together not only often, it's quite frequent. If you really look at the text, it's not just often, every now and then. It's frequent. There's a frequency to this. It happens quite a lot. One translation says of verse 25, and I love this, let us not give up the habit of meeting together. Let us not give up the habit of meeting together. Together Now, simple question, is a habit something you do once in a while or is a habit something you do quite often or a lot? It's all the time, right? There's certain things that are habitual to us. Eating is a habit. It's not like, well, I kind of feel like eating lunch today. No, it's a habit. I eat lunch. I eat dinner, right? Now, if you're like me, sometimes I forget to eat lunch, which causes a whole thing at dinner because then I come home at 4.30 or 4 o'clock and I'm like starving and Sandra's like, dinner's not till 6. And I'm like, I haven't eaten since like this morning. What do you mean dinner's not till 6? I'm hungry. What, did you eat lunch? No, I forgot to eat lunch. Well, whose fault is that? And that's a conversation we usually have, so pray for us. But that's a, that's, you just got an insight into the pastor's kitchen right there. It was amazing. But when you think about this idea here, it's not just once in a while. It's a habit. It's something that is just second nature to us. And I don't know why it is that the enemy, man, I feel like that's one of the key areas that the enemy will attack in our lives is the, the frequency at which we connect with the body of Christ. Because I think he knows that if he can keep us from connecting with the body over time, 
will actually grow weaker as a follower of Christ because we don't have that encouragement, that support. We need every part of the body to be the body. We need every member of the body to be the body. I mean, I think if you lost your arm tomorrow, you wouldn't take very long to figure out you were missing your arm. I don't think you'd be like, whoa, what happened? You would realize, man, something's missing instantly. But can I encourage you with this? I think sometimes we don't realize that when we're the one missing out on the body and not being a part, it's not so much that others aren't noticing we're not there. It's we're not noticing that we're not there. We're not catching it. And then here's what will happen. Time will go by, weeks and months and years, and all of a sudden you'll start thinking, man, how did I get where I am today? Why am I not deeper in Christ? Why am I not farther along? And I'm not saying going to church fixes it. Don't don't misunderstand this. It's the relationship with Christ. That's key. But an overflow of that is the body of Christ. And he connects us to the body of Christ because it's the best for us. I mean, do you think God knows what he's doing when he tells us in his word, hey, don't forsake this as the day is approaching. Do this more. Don't you think he knew that as the day was approaching, the world around us would get pretty dark? And the only way to avoid living in fear and worry and concern and head in the sand type Christianity is to get around other believers to be reminded and to be comforted. Thessalonians says, comfort each other with these words that, hey, listen, it might seem bleak, but his love is eternal. It might seem horrible outside, but Romans 8, nothing can separate you from his love. Don't you think God knew that in sovereignty, that as we were getting closer to the end, as things were getting worse, man, we really need the believers so we don't drift into apathy, don't drift into fearful living. I mean, I tend to think God is sovereign enough to know that we needed each other that much. And so let's continue to put into practice what we see here, not just often, but a habit of joining together. And not just, again, not just even in the local building, but through the week, connecting with each other in a way that is real and deep. A key with connecting with the body is unity. Is unity. It's interesting to me. Ten times, you can jot this down if you want to look it up. Ten times in the first five chapters of Acts, it says in one way or another, they were all of one accord. They were unified. They were all together. They were of one heart, one spirit. Ten times in the first five chapters of the book of Acts, the foundational book of the church, the transitional book, if you will, from Old Testament to New Testament, as the church is being founded and believers are coming in, and by the way, thousands of them are coming in at one time because the Lord gives the increase when it's his time. He just brought people in that needed to know Christ. And as that's happening, there's this emphasis on the oneness of the church, the unity of the church, the like-mindedness of the church. Now let me ask you a question. Were they all the same personality? Six, 7,000 people in the church? Do you think they were all the same background? Do you think they were all the same thought pattern, that they thought the same, looked at life the same, had the same values when they got saved, had the same interests and hobbies? I would imagine they were like us, very, very different, very unique. But isn't it amazing that all through the book of Acts, the formation of the early church, this new and exciting thing that Christ was beginning to call his disciples, redeemed through his death, burial, and resurrection, and fills with his spirit the power of God. And what do we see as a common thread? Unity. Unity, a oneness, which leads to the next emphasis I want to talk about this morning. Not just that we love like Jesus with other believers at church. We love like Jesus with a committed community of people. Go over to Acts chapter 2. I talk about it. Let's look at just one example of this. Acts chapter 2. Look at verse 46. 
Acts 2 and verse 46. Very popular passage. Um, You've probably studied this and read this multiple times. Acts 2 and verse 46. And they continuing daily with one accord in the temple and breaking bread from house to house. Many believe, um, and again, it's just different interpretations, but the way that most would see that is when it says with one accord in the temple, um, that they met for corporate worship in the temple courts. So they would have come together for, if you will, church. Okay, it's corporate church, big church, whatever you want to call it. And then through the week, they just got together in daily relationships. They spent time encouraging each other. But remember, fellowship for a Christian isn't just food. <laughs> I know as Baptists, we're like, mm, amen, fellowship dinner, brother, crockpot city, let's go. Right? Meatballs and little hot dogs and sausages and macaroni and cheese and green bean casserole and mashed potatoes. Okay, we're done. Sorry, I'm going to move on. Next week, we're having a fellowship. No, I'm just kidding. Um, we could, though. But anyway, it's more than food. When you read this in the Bible, it says they broke bread. But do you realize the breaking of bread, that was the least important part of that whole process. Do you know what it represents, breaking bread with someone? It's relationship. It's getting together at a home and just saying, let's just grow together. Let's just spend time together. And not just in general interests and hobbies. Man, lately it seems like people can talk about anything if they're like-minded, right? They get together and talk about politics or sports or hobbies or interests or whatever. And we can spend hours talking about common interest. But, but man, and, and those things are great. Nothing wrong with those things, having those conversations. But when we get together with other believers, man, we get to talk about something so much deeper than just sports and politics and hobbies and hunting and whatever else. We can talk about our common bond, the, the common salvation we have in Jesus Christ and what God is doing in your life and what God is doing in my life and, and how can we encourage and pray for each other. See, that's what we see here. So, so you got the temple court meeting, the, the large church gathering. By the way, important to gather together collectively and then breaking bread from house to house did eat their meat with gladness and singleness of heart, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to the church daily such as should be saved. Man, amazing verse. And the Lord added daily to the church. And by the way, God is doing things in the church in our world today. Just because we don't see it in our local church at times, or you don't see it at this church, you don't hear about it over there, you don't hear about it over here. Man, God is moving in the world today. Man, all over the world, people are coming to Christ. In nations where you would never imagine someone would even want to know Jesus, let alone have opportunity to know Jesus. But isn't it amazing that God is doing what God said he would do? He is reaching the world with the gospel. And you might think, but I haven't seen that in my life recently. I know, and it's discouraging when we get into seasons like that. I know in our world today, it's the media and stuff wants us to think one thing or, or think another. But when you step back and you go, no, no, my God is bigger than all this, and he's doing his will. And people are being saved. I truly believe the church is actually getting stronger, not weaker. The church, I mean the body of Christ when they're focused on the things of Christ. And so here we see this idea in the church. It's not just relationship casually. There's a frequency, and it's a committed community. They are committed to one another. And here's the important thing. The early church, although they were made up of people of different views, backgrounds, philosophies, yet they were a community. They were one. It wasn't their commitment to one another. Hear this now. I think we need to get this. I think this is what hinders so many churches, ours included at times, if I'm being honest, from really growing in community. It wasn't their commitment to one another that made them one. It wasn't their commitment to another person that made them one. It was their commitment to Christ that united their hearts. It wasn't their commitment to one another. It was their commitment to Christ that drew them into a deeper relationship. The truth is, everyone in the church is not going to be your best friend. 
I know that's hard to believe. And by the way, there may even be people in the church, swallow hard, it'll go down, you don't like. And here's even a harder one, that don't like you. And I know you're thinking what I'm thinking, who doesn't like me? Everybody likes me. I'm so likable. The truth is, that will happen in church. Personalities are different. And we won't all be best friends and see everything the same. But in Christ, we can have a common goal to see others come to know Christ and grow in Christ. And we don't have to be the same person. We can, we can celebrate our uniqueness and our differences, and it's amazing. I'm always amazed by the Gospels. You read four Gospels, and we know that, that the three Gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, are called synoptic Gospels. It's basically the life and ministry of Christ from three unique perspectives. And so you might get a little bit of one emphasis than another in, in, in different Gospels. Matthew may highlight something that Mark doesn't really highlight, or Luke talks about something. I mean, Luke's amazing. There's more parables in the Gospel of Luke than any other Gospel. Then you got John. He's kind of just out there, left center, right? He's just kind of throwing out different—no, not really. But it's very unique the way his gospel is structured compared to the three. But what I love about those four gospels is that God does not rip the uniqueness of the author away from them. He uses them exactly where they are. And he, he inspired them. God spoke through them by the work of the Holy Spirit to pen the words of God, keeping their uniqueness intact, but preserving the, the inerrancy of God's word. It's amazing how he does that in the Gospels. And here's the cool thing. He does it through us today. He keeps our uniqueness, our individuality, our gifts, and our talents. He keeps those intact, but yet fills us with the Spirit and then uses us to proclaim the Gospel in a way that makes sense for other people. But yet we get to do that as individuals connected with the body. So I want to ask you just a couple questions this morning to kind of think about how God may be applying this to your life. So you talk about this idea of breaking bread and demonstrating the love of Christ to others. And I know in some ways we were kind of all over the place this morning, but I pray that you would draw from this message this morning that Jesus loved and demonstrated his love by building relationships with sinners, that we can do that by building a relationship with sinners as well. Not giving in to everything they do, but building those relationships. We can do that in the body by building relationships within the church by frequency of gathering together so that we can get to know each other. But also, we do it through not just a casual relationship at church, a committed community drawn together by our common interest and salvation in Christ. So a couple questions, just to kind of give you an application to close with. What are you doing? You don't need to answer out loud, but what are you doing right now that's causing relationships to deepen? What are you doing that's keeping them from deepening? So what are you doing right now in the church, in the body of Christ? What are you doing to deepen relationships with other believers? Or what are you doing that's keeping them from going deeper? What fear is it that you have that you're like, if I, just, if I go deeper, though, they might burn me. They might leave. If there's one thing I've learned in ministry is that nothing is constant except for the love and the presence of Christ. I've had relationships, great relationships with people that I thought would be lifelong relationships. God's will was different. They moved on and things change. But we can't let the fear of loss of that relationship or the hurt that may come from that relationship keep us from enjoying the rewards of engaging in deeper relationships. So which do you most lack? Another question to consider. Which do you most lack? Consistent community with other believers at church or community with others in your homes? 
Is it that consistent community in the body of Christ and church, gathering together frequency, worshiping together, growing together, discipling together in different services? Or is it that, that out-of-church relationship where you know God is saying, man, I need you to grow in this area because I want you to see how I can bless you through it and you can bless others? And of course, the last question we have to ask is, what will you do about it? If God is giving you wisdom in any of this, what will you do to grow those relationships? And again, not so you can check the church box. Okay, I was a good Christian. I, I had a meal with someone this week. Boom, that's another crown. You know, I'm good. No, it's about understanding. It's about investing in other people, discipling other people so that they could grow in Christ, so that they are blessed and God is glorified and we end up being blessed in the process. And so I'm going to ask you to bow your heads right there where you are. I'm just going to ask you to begin to pray and seek his wisdom. And as you pray there where you are, in just a moment, the praise band's going to come and lead us in a song of invitation, really a song of response to what God is doing. And I just want to invite you a couple things as you're praying there where you are, a couple things to think about and just kind of pray on how God would have you to respond. First of all, maybe you want to come and just bend a knee and say, God, thank you for, for loving a sinner like me. God, thank you for uh, forgiving me of my sin and growing me helping me to understand what it is to, to know your love and to love others. Maybe you want to come and just be thankful that, that Jesus spent time with you, that Jesus allowed you into his presence through the shed blood of Jesus Christ, that you, that you have a relationship with him. Maybe you want to come and just be thankful for that and just praise him here at the altar or maybe there in your seats. Maybe you're here this morning and God is leading you to realize that, that maybe because of past hurts or past relationships that have caused you to be fearful or concerned. You've kind of hardened. You've kind of isolated. You've kind of put walls up. And maybe God is trying to encourage you that, that he wants to use you to encourage others and to bless others for his glory. And it's fearful, but he's trying to get you to step out by faith and take that step to say, I can do this, Lord, through your grace and through your strengthening. Maybe you'd come and pray and say, Lord, help me to go deeper with those in the body. Help me to go deeper with those in the church or those in my community and when it comes into the church, I pray that we would know that when we go through difficult times, it's the church that we can lean on. It's other believers that will pray for us and encourage us, and we need those relationships. As we see the day of the Lord approaching, we need to, to increase the frequency of time spent together, not decrease, because we need each other. And so I pray that we would not replace the relationship with church, that going to church doesn't mean I have a relationship with him. It's I have a relationship through Christ. And so church involvement is an overflow of that. Or maybe you're here this morning and you don't know Christ. You've never for yourself personally received and trusted in Christ and his salvation. Maybe you would come and pray and say, Lord, would you, would you forgive me of my sins? I cry out to you. I ask that you would save me. Whatever God is doing, I pray that you would respond as only he can lead you and he, he will guide you into that response. I pray that we'd be open to respond. Father, thank you for all that you're doing and all that you're going to do. Work now. Help us to grow in the areas that you're leading us in and so that we would glorify you in all things. Father, what a, what a hard thing to say, glorify you in all things. Lord, I know I don't do that. I know I struggle at times. And so I pray as we desire that, would you show us your grace. Father, we love you, and we ask this in your name. Amen. Would you stand to your feet this morning as we're led in a song of invitation? Would you respond? Again, whether it's here at the altar, you want to come and bend a knee, maybe by yourself or with a loved one or 
family want to come and pray and say, God, would you stir in us what you have for us? Or there in your seats, would we respond to what God is doing as we sing?